0: Thank you. That scripture is a good lead into the passage we're looking at this morning in our journey through 1 John. So 1 John, if you want to find it real quick, go to the very end of the Bible, book of Revelation, and put it in reverse for a few books, and you'll come across the little epistles that John wrote. And we're looking at 1 John. Pastor Josh is leading us through this book, and as we go through it, we are now at a really fascinating portion chapter 2 just three verses 12 to 14 if you don't have a note sheet uh, pastor Josh maybe you want to grab those for anything I've got the scripture written out on there plus uh, the things we're looking at and some extra references if we don't have time to look them up or if you don't have time to follow along as I'm um, reciting different verses it's something for you to take and reconsider review at another time If your Bible is like mine, these three verses, 12, 13, 14, 1 John, are even formatted different in in my translation. And I think there's several translations that do that. Instead of the usual paragraphs, as we're going through this letter, this section is formatted like it's poetry. It's got this uh, kind of balance and uh, this structure that that really looks a little poetic, and I think you'll see as we read through it, there is kind of a, a, a rhythm to it that the Holy Spirit used John to put it in a little different format, breaking up kind of right in the middle of this chapter, uh, an interesting topic, and we're going to just call it Addressing the Family, that is, God's family. So let me just read these three verses. If you follow along in your Bible, or the note sheet has the scripture on the very on top of it 1st John 2 beginning verse 12 I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I write to you children because you know the father I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I'm wondering in our group, our little group here, if you could answer in your heart, not out loud. um, When did we come to know Christ as our personal Savior? Did we come to that point of faith when we were maybe a child? Uh, My wife was, I think, five years old. In her Sunday school class when it finally clicked made sense and she knew in her heart she needed to turn to Jesus as a little sinner and have a big Savior save her she was five years old some are saved in their teen years at a Bible camp or in a youth group ministry or whatever circumstance leaves a young person in their teen years to realize now's the time the best time that I'll ever have to put my faith in Jesus and begin my life with him Then some of us as young adults, I was 20, junior in college, when it finally, God invaded my life, interrupted my sinful course and turned me around from my sin to the cross and I trusted Jesus and he saved me and changed me. Maybe some were saved later in life. We certainly know there are people who are saved in nursing homes, rescue missions, perhaps even deathbed conversions. Even though we're all saved the same way, we're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved at different times of life, right? From children to senior adults. And then we can expect the body of Christ, including Living Hope Church, to be made up of people from not only various backgrounds, we have wonderful diversity in terms of our social economic ethnic racial background as god intends it all people from all nations all tribes together in christ but we're also a variety of people at different spiritual levels of life some are new in the faith when they come to worship and some are coming to worship having known the lord for 50 years and they're veterans in the faith we would call them well here john in this section is addressing such differences in the the family of God. He just told us, as Pastor Josh showed us last week in the previous paragraph, that God wants his family to be one full of love. We love one another if we're really walking in the light of Jesus. There is no room in the heart of God's people for anger, hatred, racism, bigotry, prejudice. We are to be like our Savior, a loving people. And now he as if he just came off of that kind of a hard warning hey folks no hate no anger we're only loving and i says here's who i i know who you are i know where you're at and i just want you to know i'm writing to you which he says six times if you notice i'm writing to you i'm writing to okay john we know you're writing the holy spirit is using you to author this but he says i want you to know readers that i am addressing you whoever you are imagine we've got before us an envelope a piece of stationery that has that gold embossed return address 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue which if you're not familiar if you haven't been there lately it's the White House and it's the Oval Office and Pastor Josh opens up this stationery, which is addressed to Living Hope Church. And indeed, it's a letter from the president. And whatever you think of it politically, he's the president. And he's writing our little church family? Well, surely he's writing to Pastor Josh. He's just got a letter to the pastors, the leaders, or the adults. Uh, The officials of the church, he's got something he wants to share with the church. So he writes to the big guys at the top of the church uh, authority chain, right? But you read the letter, and the president says, Hey, you teenagers, I want to encourage you, finish high school, get your education. Hey, you kindergartners, finish kindergarten, don't drop out of kindergarten. Hey, you senior citizens, we're working hard to take care of you with Medicare and, and Social Security. And he goes down, and maybe he even gets more specific, he names your family name. He names you personally. Now, as that letter is being writ- read, you realize, hey, I'm going to pay attention. This isn't just for the pastors. This isn't just president to pastor Josh. This is president to me. And every one of us that's what John is doing here he's reminding us that this letter that he is writing is not just for the leaders of the church the pastors who are feeding and leading the flock it's not just for the the the, the, the big shots or the veteran Saints who have the most seniority in the church there's something here for every one of us wherever Any one of us finds ourselves in our spiritual journey and he uses these various terms you probably noticed there's three maybe four different terms or categories that he is addressing and we have to understand do we take these terms referring to their biological age their physical stature in life is he talking to the little children who are in the nurse or not or in the nursery and now in the gym in our children's program and the young men are the 20 or 30 guys. Uh, and the fathers are, you know, those gentlemen in the congregation who have children at home. Well, probably not dealing with the physical categories. Uh, those little children may not understand or may even be able to read what he's writing. So he's not talking to the nursery and the little kids, children's church. If that were the case, who's who's left out? If he's dealing with children, fathers, and young men, then half of the congregation is wondering, well, don't young women count? Or mothers? Or maybe not little children, but bigger children? So I, I think we can be pretty confident. He's not writing to those different age groups in the church. He's using these terms to describe the various stages of the Christian life spiritually the little children the new ones in the faith the spiritual father figures in the church and they may be male or female the spiritual young men or women and we'll see how he describes those and what he has to say as he addresses the church family in its different categories so as we go through these friends let's each of us look for ourselves say god where am i and what do you have to say to me as you're addressing the church of which I am a part of? All right, let's, let's go through this. He starts where you would expect him to start, little children. This is one of his favorite terms of endearment that John uses. If you go back to verse 1, this is how he opened the chapter. My little children. So he's talking to the whole church as a, as a father figure to his spiritual offspring. The word little children means, quite literally, a born one. A born one. It's about as tender a term as you can think of. We would probably call it an infant. You know, that little, innocent, helpless, dependent baby that everybody oohs and ahs over and wants to pass around when that newborn is is brought home. And Micah was was in that spotlight just a few weeks ago. and John was saying, you know, in the body of Christ, my little children are just as precious, tender. My little children. I'm writing to you who have been maybe recently born. And folks, just a reminder that every one of us, every Christian has to be born into God's family. Jesus said, Verily, verily I say to you, except a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, let alone get into it. He can't even see it if he doesn't have the new birth, that experience of faith in Jesus that changes a heart and brings a person from sinner to saint, from God's enemy by sin to God's beloved child to the righteousness of Jesus that we receive as a gift in faith. We're all born ones, but some have recently been born. They're still in that that baby stage in their spiritual life. They're starting to figure out what uh, what's going on in this family of God that they've entered. They're starting to learn more and more about the Jesus that they put their faith in. But what does he say? How does he describe the little children? Notice, this is true of all of God's people at the very beginning of our spiritual life. When we first trust Jesus, he says, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know what a new convert knows? Even on that first moment of their saving faith, they know their sins are forgiven because of Jesus. They're not now forgiven because they went to a church, took communion, got baptized, made a promise to do better in their life, keep the Ten Commandments, put money in the offering, do a lot of good works. No, no, no. They've heard the gospel which says, by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. So they know this. Even a baby Christian knows forgiveness. Paul told the Colossians, in whom, Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2.13. I think there's a typo in your notes. sheet, by the way, at that point. It should be 2.13 if you're following along. God made us alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses even a baby Christian knows that well I remember the night I became a Christian it was a Thursday night I met my friend at the McDonald's restaurant where we'd been meeting and he was going through the gospel with me answering my questions and dealing with some of my objections to what I perceived to be false with the Bible and he patiently dealt with me and loved me and had been praying for me. And finally that night, I knew the spirit convicted my heart. I knew the Bible was right. I knew I was wrong. I knew Jesus is what I needed. I trusted him right in the McDonald's restaurant. Didn't even want to wait for church on Sunday. Bowed my head, admitted my sin, accepted Jesus as my Savior. I went home that night not knowing much of anything of the Bible. I couldn't have told you who the apostles were. The epistles, maybe they were the wives of the apostles. I didn't know Old Testament, New Testament, in-between Testament. But I did know this when I pillowed my head that first night. If I die tonight, my sin won't keep me out of heaven. Because Jesus took my sin on the cross. For his name's sake, who he is, the Son of God. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, he's the Son, Jesus Christ. What he did for me at the cross, chapter 2, verse 3. Verse 1 jesus christ the righteous is the propitiation for our sins verse 2 he took my judgment he took the wrath of god as my substitute and i know now i'm a child of god in his family forgiven of my sins little children know this every believer even the youngest when a child gets saved they can be a powerful evangelist they don't even they may not even read the bible can't read it, but they can tell somebody from their experience and from what they know about scripture, maybe a few memory verses. God so loved the world he gave His only begotten son that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life because Jesus brings forgiveness when there's faith in him. So group one, little children, we all start there. And maybe some are still there. And it's okay to be a little child because that's the only way you, you start life, the way you start faith in Jesus. It's not okay to stay there, right? we really have a broken heart when we see a child with some deformity or disease and five or six years old and they still uh, can't walk or talk there's something that's that's hurting their development that's just not right that's not normal there's something wrong and so in our spiritual life we start as little children but we grow out of that we need to grow in grace and develop and eventually we will become he next addresses in verse 13 fathers Now, we might think young men should come before fathers if he's going, you know, following the chronological development, that you have to be a young man before you become a father. But I think there's a reason why the Holy Spirit puts the order of fathers first. A father, I'm sorry, I'm going to back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. Group two, if you're following your note sheet, you're probably thinking, man, you forgot one of your points. I'll go back. There's another category that I think we might overlook when we first read through it. If you go down to the end of verse 13, he says, I write to you children, because you know the Father. And we might think we're in the same category, he's still talking about little children. But I think there's a slight variation here, because in the original language of the New Testament, which if you didn't know it's Greek, that was the, the language of the world in the first century, and that's the language the Holy Spirit used to, to give us the original New Testament. This is a different word than the word for little children the word for little children in verse 12 a born one the word here in verse 13 for children and our translation even tries to show us a different word by just saying children this is use of a child of any age it could be a little infant but it could also be a, a toddler or elementary child This is the word used in Matthew 2 of Jesus when the wise men came. And it wasn't the night he was born, even though that differs from some of our tradition. When the wise men came, Jesus was one or two years old. They were living in a house in Bethlehem. They weren't in the manger anymore. Uh, And that's why Herod killed all the little baby boys two years and younger, because he knew from the wise men that, that the Messiah had been born probably two years ago. So this could be a child who's not an infant, but a little more developed. And whether it is the same category or whether John is just saying, okay, you grow out of little children status, now you get to be a toddler or a bigger child. Here's what's true, of still true of children, all God's children, because you know the Father. You know the Father. As Jessica read for us in Romans 8 this morning, spirit of god that we receive at our salvation causes our heart now to say abba father why abba abba would be in their day language what we would say dada dada just the simplest sweetest expression of the born one acknowledging the one who has given him life the one he depends on the one he loves the one he wants to Please cling to his father, his daddy. And a born-again child of God, no less than than we who, in a couple Sundays, will honor our fathers on Father's Day, that born-again child knows God now, is not some big, mean ogre, or God in heaven is just this impersonal, creative force who created it all, and now you better kind of stand back. He's big and kind of scary. In my pre-salvation days, if you would have asked me to describe God, I might have described him to you in terms that really resemble The Wizard of Oz, that childhood movie. The great and mighty Oz, who could do great things, but boy, steer clear of him unless you really need him. And you gotta do things that will please him If you expect anything from him. And as an unsaved man, If I had any concept of God, it would have been, you know, he's that kind of big, scary force. But once I found Jesus as my Savior, the one the Father said, now I can say, no, God, you are my Father, Abba. I I fear you in the sense that I give you reverence and worship. You deserve that. You're holy. I want to adore you. I want to please you. But I don't run and hide from you. You're my Father. I run to you. I need you. I love you. Father. How did Jesus tell his disciples to pray when they prayed? In the model prayer? Our Father in heaven. We don't have to come to him with terms of our almighty God, eternal, everlasting Jehovah, Jireh. These are all true and we may refer to him by that, but, but even as a little one, we can just simplify it and start our prayer and address him, realizing above all things, he's a father and I'm his child because Jesus is my savior. Amen. From little children to children, now let's go to the fathers. Fathers, I am writing to you, he says in verse 13, and then he repeats it in verse 14. And notice he says the same thing to them. What describes the father? Spiritually, you know him who is from the beginning, and he repeats that. So here here you have this group of people. We would think of fathers as what, mature leaders, uh, a maturity level now that they can actually reproduce. What's the difference between a father and a husband or a father and an unmarried man? A father has offspring. So these men are now so influential, or women, these believers have arrived at a spiritual level where their influence is impacting other lives that are looking to them and following their example. Perhaps they've even reproduced themselves spiritually. They've led friends to Jesus Christ. They've shared the gospel and brought others into the family, and they're increasing and abounding Hopefully, that is the level God would bring us all to if we're not yet there. We are influential with the gospel, and others come to the faith and look to us as their spiritual father or mother. Paul called Timothy his spiritual son, his son in the faith. I want a lot of sons in the faith. I hope you want some people that you say, they're going to heaven because God used me to show them the way to heaven. was through Jesus. And when we get to heaven, heaven will be sweeter and richer when we see people there that God used us to bring to him. Fathers. Do we know God as our Father? Let's not get past that, beloved. Whatever level of spiritual maturity, let's not forget that our Father is the one who's from the beginning. And now we're not just at the Father level of knowing our God, but we're getting, can I say, a little deeper theology? We're knowing more and more about our god and we now even know and recognize him as the one who's from the beginning as john began this book back in chapter one verse one that which or we could translate that he which is from the beginning and he began the gospel of john the same way remember in the beginning was the word and the word was god and so he's He's taking us back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. And here are people who are growing in their knowledge of the person of God. And they say, I can tell you something about God. Not only is he father, but if you want to really know him, you have to start an eternity past. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty seven. 27 The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath our everlasting arms. Yeah. Or Daniel 7 9, remember that wonderful title for God? And from that prophetic vision, won't detour there, but just to give you a short answer, that's really a prophetic view of the coming Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. He's called the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days? That means he's getting older and older? No, he doesn't age. He's eternal, but he's not old. If you can separate that in your mind. He never ages jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever hebrews 13 8. jesus said of himself i am the alpha that was the first letter of the greek alphabet and the omega the last letter it's like us saying from a to z i'm beginning to end he goes on to say i am the first and the last the beginning and the end that's revelation 22 13. how exciting to know more and more about our God as he reveals himself in the Bible. And friends, may I just recommend that as you do your Bible study, if you're doing a Bible reading schedule, don't just make it a time to read so many chapters and check the box. Hey, I did it today. I'm keeping on schedule. I'll get through the whole Bible this year. That's great. But may I say, we're looking in our Bible reading and study, in our preaching at church, in our Bible studies, or small group together, we're always looking to learn about God. This book is really God's autobiography. And the more we know of our God, the the better we will be and the more we will glorify him. He is the one from the beginning. I hope you're sensing in your life as you're honest, look at your heart, a growing experiential understanding of the person of God, his nature, his character, His names, his titles, his promises, more and more. You can say, I know him, but not enough. Apostle Paul said, that I may know him, meaning more and more. I've got to know him deeper and better. And that's a part of spiritual growth and development. All right, the last group. The last group. The young men who are addressed at the end of verse 13 and then at the end of verse 14. I write to you, young men. What do you think of when you think of young men? What, what can we say about young men? Well, they're, they're the strong and virile ones, right? The young guys who are the peak of their life. They've got vitality and strength. Um, young men are bold, right? Confident, to say the least, bold. Young men are active, hardworking, good-looking, Ladies, that would have been a great time to say amen, but that's all right. At least our young men, you know, young men have it, right? So what do we say about young men in the spiritual side, spiritual developed young men in the faith? Well, John says twice, you have overcome. You young men have overcome the evil one, He says in verse 13, and then that's how he ends this passage at the end of verse 14. You have overcome the evil one. Now what does that talk about? Overcoming the evil one. Evil one, obviously the enemy of God and God's people. We call him Satan or the devil who wants to attack God and God's people. And these guys overcome him? Wow, are they Superman saints? Are these guys like perfect? Like they achieve a level where they never have problems, they never have struggles. They've got it all together. There's sinless perfection. No, not at all. The word overcome is used here. Jesus will use it in the book of Revelation simply to describe a spiritual state of experiencing victory in spiritual battle, victorious in spiritual battle. Not perfectly, uh, not until we're in heaven will we have perfect sinlessness. But here's men who have, or women, in the body of Christ who have, matured and grown in grace and they're not at the point in their spiritual walk where more times than not they can resist the temptations of the devil they have learned how to overcome him and all of his sneaky devious ways to get them tripped up they have seen victory in perhaps besetting sins uh, habits that used to be a chain around them jesus has given them victory over that they have grown where they can be Confident in living a life of victory over sin and the world and all of its ways. We'll see that next week. And even the devil himself. In chapter 4, a little sneak peek, when we get to chapter 4, we're going to see, John says to every Christian here, Greater is he that is in you, Christian, than he that is in the world. Meaning the prince of the world, the devil. You realize... You're not greater than the devil. I'm not greater than the devil. He's a powerful angel, a powerful fallen angel with power and knowledge that I cannot come close to match. But God says, greater is he that is in you. The spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus Christ in me is greater than Satan with all of his greatness. And that's my only hope, to have a week this week where I can say no to sin and live a righteous life in obedience to God, where I can have victory in a consistent manner. You are victorious over the devil. You, in the body of Christ, who have matured and grown and learned how to walk consistently in the light. How do you get there? You wonder. Boy, I'm not sure if I'm there. I'd like to get there. How do you do that? How do they? How do they get there? Well, when you get to verse fourteen, when his his second address to young men, he tells us, you are strong. And that's not just your biceps or triceps, right? You are spiritually strong. Whereas the book of Ephesians tells us, and that's an epistle dealing with spiritual strength and might. Let me just give you a couple highlights from Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe or chapter 3 verse 16 strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being again the one in us gives us god's almighty power to activate as we live our daily lives in obedience or ephesians 6 10 we well know this be strong in the lord and in the power of his might with that strength we have victory in spiritual battle Against our enemy. And now you're asking the question. I hear it. your wheels are turning, you smart people out there. Okay, how do you get that strength? How do you get so strong that you have victorious life and spiritual battle? Well, the last phrase or the middle phrase of verse 14's address, You are strong and the Word of God abides in you. So if you want to be victorious, overcoming the evil one. You need to be strong in the Lord. The power is right. How do you get strong in the Lord? How does the Holy Spirit have uh, the wherewithal to put more strength in your weak faith, making it stronger? It's by the intake of the Word of God. Notice, intake. Abides in you. You don't just hear it or sing it or quote it. That's all right. We want to do that. Our mouths need to express what our hearts feel about God's Word. But really it has to come from the internet the word of God has to be internalized here's how Jesus said it when he was having victory in the wilderness against the devil same devil we fight Jesus fought successfully remember how, how, how he did it he said to the devil man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and then Jesus three times quoted scripture and the devil ran this is defeated foe The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit that when it's in our heart gives us the means to say, no, Mr. Satan, I'm obeying this time. I'm loving God more than I love you or myself in this situation. I'm going to do the right thing. The Word of God internalized. Or how about Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of Christ or the Word of God. The more you receive, internalize the Word, the more faith grows like a muscle that's being used, uh, worked out in the fitness room. And the Word is not just the written, what we call the Word of God. We always think of the Bible. But let's remind ourselves, even from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, there is a person who's called the Word. The Word of life is not the written Word, but the living Word. Or as John began the gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then to clarify a few verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God word, that word of life, is Jesus, the living word, along with scripture, the written word. This internalized word, friend, is what makes us strong, stronger, stronger. And getting stronger even still, and victorious soldiers in the battles that we face in this world against our enemy. Jesus' prayer before He was His last night prayer before He was taken and arrested. He prayed for us. I hope you realize when you go through John 17, much of that is praying, not just for the twelve apostles but for the future disciples, the ones who would come to faith because of the apostles who wrote the New Testament. That includes us. And here's what he prayed in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus prayed for our sanctification, that is for our spiritual growth, becoming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, growing stronger in faith, increasing in love, Growing in the fruit of the Spirit, just becoming more and more Christ-like in character and conduct. And Jesus prayed to the Father, it would happen, and it would happen through the Word of God. So we can help Jesus' prayer be answered. He doesn't need any help for us, but we can help the prayer being answered by giving the Holy Spirit the means of sanctification giving the Holy Spirit more opportunities to show our mind and our heart what's in the truth of his word. And that's how we grow. Well, the clock is covered, so I can't see where I'm at, but uh, I'm guessing, yeah, we're at that time. We need to land the airplane. So let me just close this way. Do you see yourself in this passage as we went through this, this section? Do you see where you would be addressed by the apostle if he was writing Living Hope Church as he wrote all believers in 1 John, some are new in the faith. And that's okay. That's all right. That's where we all start. That's, that's wonderful. Praise God. It's the only way to get into the family, starting as a little child. And then we learn how to walk and talk. We learn a little more, get our spiritual feet under us as we start to learn the Bible and people disciple us and we, we hang out with mature Christians who can be an example and encouragement to our spiritual life. And then we grow so strong, we become a father figure. Others want to follow us as we follow Christ. And we can actually disciple and, and, and teach them and, and encourage or correct or model the faith for others. And God can use us as a father or mother figure in the body of Christ. And then we, we grow and grow stronger. And the things that used to weight us down, we can now see God lifting us up, giving us victory. Where we used to stumble and be defeated. He's encouraging us onward to victory and victory and victory consistently. So I've got two takeaways. As I've been spending time in this passage preparing for, for weeks now, it struck me, why did God put this passage in the Bible? What's the big reason? Why does Dennis Comas need this passage in the Bible? Number one, for understanding that this is just a way of life in the body of Christ. Not everybody everybody comes to Christ the same way, but not everybody at the same time of life. And we're not all at the same stage of spiritual life. So with patience and understanding and love, we help one another wherever we're at. We don't look down at people because they're not at our level. And we don't get envious or jealous of people who are at a higher level. We just love and accept everybody. And then we encourage one another. Hey, take the next baby step, whatever level you're at. Just don't stay where you're at. You cannot stay where you're at. We have to grow and grow. The Bible commands, grow in grace, increase and abound. Do more and more. And if we're not growing, then we're not obeying the command of Scripture. And disobedience is going to hurt us and, and displease our Father. So we grow, beloved. We grow every time we come to the Word of God in church and Bible study in our personal time, hanging out with other godly Christians who God can use to speak into our lives so we grow and become more like Christ. So will you today commit yourself, right now, will you commit yourself that this week you're going to take whatever spiritual steps are needed to get a little farther down the path in your spiritual walk and not stay where you're at but grow grace and knowledge by Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pastor John.